Vegas Nation is sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Download the app today and get a bonus up to $100 when you sign up. Sports. Entertainment. Little to no culture. It's time for Unsportsmanlike Conduct with Ed Graney and Adam Hill. Hey, welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct of the Vegas Nation, sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. We're your hosts, Ed Graney and Adam Hill, and we're here to give you some of our thoughts on Las Vegas Raiders before entering the world of news and topics we find interesting. Here we go. Adam, I want to talk to you about the draft in a bit. Uh, you were down there. Get your thoughts on how Las Vegas presented it. But um, once again, the Raiders today announced that um, uh, team president Dan Ventrelli has left the organization. This comes uh, less than a year after Mark Bedane, the president, also resigned. Four top executives left in that term. Yesterday, Jeremy Aguero, also the CEO and analytics officer, resigned. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on this? One of my thoughts uh, going in was that, you know, Mark Davis, obviously, in, in my mind, wants a clean slate here. Uh, went outside the organization to hire um, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler as his coach and GM. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Sometimes clean slates are good because the Raiders have always kind of hired from within and stayed from within, and maybe they need a look, a fresh new look at things. But when you see all this movement at the top, any any thoughts as to what might be going on here? No, I mean, I think, I think you see a lot of changes when there's new regimes that take over. Uh, I think that's part of this for sure. Um, you know, Dan Ventrelli is a guy that, as you said, he took over from Mark Bedane. He was interim for a while. Then they promoted him to the full-time job. But I, I think that there was still some kind of tenuous hold on that job. It didn't seem like maybe he was necessarily always the long-term answer. And, you know, there's rumors of, you know, you know, discord and things like that inside the building. But I think the, the bigger thing to look at is, you know, you get a new GM, you get a new coach who are right on the same page. They're friends from college. They've been doing things the same way for a long time. And, um, it would probably be you know beneficial for them as things start to get settled down. They had their first draft. Now they're going to their first true downtime, really, um, you know, of all the chaos that happened when they get hired. Now you have the draft. Now you have a little bit of downtime. And I think it's like, okay, let's find somebody that maybe they can work with a little bit better. I think that's usually the first place you look uh, when you have changes like this that happen uh, along the same time that, you know, a GM and a coach take over. So it'll be interesting to see if they go to somebody who is connected with McDaniels and Ziegler or how much impact they have, how much of a voice they have in finding the new person. Uh, and then, and then who exactly takes over that role because it is a non-football role, but at the same time, it's a football role. I think there is there's aspects of it that are football uh, related, and and I'm sure that it's somebody that you know McDaniel's and Ziggler will have to be able to work with. Yeah, and I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to go outside. Like I said, I know they've had a history of hiring from within um, the Raider way, keeping it in the family. Uh, that's been going on a long time. And if Davis really wants a clean slate and to kind of craft things in his own image, not that he obviously disliked everything his father did. He was very close to his father. He always talks about him. But if you're really, really going to do this, you have a new GM and coach. I think you also need to go outside the organization and get a new president and just get a fresh look at everything. I don't think that can be a bad thing in this instance. No, I don't think so either. And, and I think, you know, a lot of what you said is also true. And, um, you know, there's there's multiple aspects of, of anything like this that goes on. Now, I, I know that there's going to be people that say, well, there's some red flags raised because a couple of other moves have happened around the same time. But, um, you know, in this in last time, you know, this happened, there was a kind of a mass exodus. Uh, things did come out down the road. It was there was a lot of tax issues and uh, some things that had happened on the scenes that they had to kind of take care of. Uh, this time, I think it's more you've seen a couple of guys leave recently. 
And I think that was probably related to the fact that this was probably coming. I think that, you know, it's one of those things where there's new administration coming and, you know, there's some kind of indications right before that happens. And uh, I think in this case, you saw a couple of guys leave and you mentioned Aguero and a couple others that left, I think maybe knowing or being a part of eventually Ventrelli being gone. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on that, uh, certainly as they go forward and try to uh, or hire a new president. I think Dave Ziegler has a lot of power. I'm not saying that's such a bad thing. Um, maybe he's kind of the new sheriff and he's deciding a lot of this stuff. And 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 Davis and hiring those guys are giving him full reign and we'll see how it works out. Um, let's get to the draft. We haven't talked. Uh, we haven't had a podcast since the draft and you were down there covering it uh, for the Review Journal. Just give me an overall view of how you think Vegas came off and, and, and all the stuff you saw at the draft being down there on a daily basis. I was out at the Raiders facility, so I wasn't able to be with you down there seeing, you know, the link and, you know, the, the fan experience and the stage. Um, was it better than you thought? Like, give, give us some thoughts on how you think Vegas pulled off the draft. Well, I mean, obviously they incorporated Vegas really well into the draft, uh, kind of building it into uh, the strip and the Bellagio in terms of the red carpet arrivals and and some of the network stages that were there. And then uh, behind the link, I mean, I think they could have probably taken a little bit better advantage of, you know, being in Las Vegas to build the stage and into a more Vegasy type role. But I think Vegas is well represented uh, on that stage. Um, you know, one thing that I, I think wasn't necessarily ideal is for people to be outside for three days in Las Vegas. And it wasn't necessarily cool. I mean, I know it's spring, it's not summer yet, but um, it was pretty, it was pretty brutally sunshiny right. uh, down there for three days. And I think for people that want to go to the draft all three days and kind of be outside, that does make it a little rough, especially if you're not from here, you're not, um, you know, you're not used to being outside in the Vegas sun. Uh, I think that affected people. And I think you saw that in the numbers that came out on Saturday. I mean, it wasn't going to be the biggest attended day anyway, but I think by Saturday people were kind of worn down a little bit by all that sun. So, you know, that was one factor. I think it was really cool. The concerts and everything they did. And obviously Vegas knows how to run an event. So closing down the streets and getting the traffic diverted and everything that they, they did there worked out really well. Uh, I can't speak, I guess, from the day-to-day commute, how it went for people. I stayed down there. So um, I got down there, you know, before the draft started on Thursday and left after it ended on Saturday. Um, but as far as, you know, getting there and getting out of it uh, at those times was fine. And I know some people that came, you know, back and forth a little bit and uh, had to get Ubers and things like that. And it was a little bit of a, you know, a hassle more than usual, but um, that's going to be the case in an event. I don't, I think other cities are impacted more uh, when they have the, when they have the draft. So I'm sure Vegas, or excuse me, I'm sure the NFL was happy. I'm sure the fans were happy to be in, in Vegas. I'm sure the properties down there were thrilled with, uh, the turnout and the amount of people that were there and walking around. Um, so I, I think it was a success on all levels. Um, and I'm sure that they learned some things this time that they can incorporate next time. Took advantage of the hotel. Did you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was the only the smart thing to do. I mean, we were there from, you know, basically morning until after midnight each day, uh, so, you know, going back and forth would have been silly. Um, so staying down there was, you know, was really, really beneficial, I think. And it, it, and, you know, enabled you to kind of see the experience a little bit more, uh, of what people that were going through that were down there and, you know, that were staying there and, and the, what the tourists were kind of dealing with. And I think it went really, really well in that regard. So again, I'm sure for people here locally, it was a little bit of a, a hassle. I did speak to some employees and, uh, people that work at some of the casinos down on the strip, uh, friends of mine, just to see what, what their take was. And they said, compared to other events, it actually went fairly smoothly. There was places for them to park and 
to get shuttled in and uh, not have to, you know, it was a little bit of an inconvenience, but not necessarily a massive one um, so that they were able to, you know, kind of go about their normal lives and not have to, you know, not have to think too much about the fact that this draft was going on and closing all the streets and everything. And, um, you know, I think that, I think for that part, it went well, it was a good dress rehearsal in part for the Super Bowl, though that's going to be different venues and different parts of town that are kind of closed down. Um, maybe a good dress rehearsal for F1, although I think that's going to be much more of a disaster and a mess, not a disaster from a, you know, financial standpoint, but just a mess for locals that, that are trying to get around and go about their lives for a couple of weeks. So, um, there's no, there's well. no chance. There's no chance. That's not going to be a mess by the way. Yeah, it's going to be a mess, but I mean, but like mess and disaster, I guess, can be taken two different ways. Like, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a very successful event. It's very cool that it's yes. coming here, yeah. but it's going to be a mess for sure. Oh, all the streets and what they have to shut down to have those to have those cars racing. Please, please, NFL, if anybody's listening, do not have the Raiders playing at home that weekend. No, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You got to have them on the road. Um, speaking of the, the Raiders Knights, or the Knights, by the way. Or anything in around anything in around Las Vegas Boulevard. Just have the race and have everyone else out of town in terms of sports. I'm I'm saying Raiders specifically, not because it would it would you know make things even messier. I'm saying I just want to be out of town. Yes, (laughs) obviously you're not lining up to cover that. Uh, I'm with you on that. Um, Speaking of the Raiders, let's let's uh, go over. I'm I'm reading a headline from the RJ Raiders true to their plan. You were at the um, the NFL owners meetings when Josh McDaniels, the new coach, talked about, you know, kind of their draft strategy. I thought it was interesting when he told you guys uh, they were going to pick the guy, best guy on their board, uh, regardless of position. If that meant two running backs, which they took, that meant that two defensive tackles they took. They took a couple offensive linemen. Um, you know, they it seemed like they stood stood firm on that. And whoever was there, the best player available in their and their board, they took. Um let's go over this. Give me your thought. They, they went with a guard at first and Dylan Parham uh, can play center, can play tackle, seems versatile. Versatile can mean two things. He's, you know, not great at one thing and just kind of average at the rest. Um, what did you think of that pick coming in in terms of Dylan Parham in the third round? Because, it, you know, a lot of offensive line went, linemen went before him, but we've talked often about how they have to improve up front also. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you mentioned the keyword versatility. That's another word that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler both used before the draft of what they were looking at. And I think that that's particularly even more so than best player available, what they stood by. I mean, they took guys that are versatile in this draft along the offensive line and the, and the defensive line, mostly the offensive line guys that can play pretty much anywhere on the line. That was, that seemed to be something they valued very much. Now, Dylan Parm is not a guy that I had projected to the Raiders, mostly because I had him going much sooner than the Raiders were on the board. So uh, I thought really good value. I thought a really good draft pick. He's a guy that should be able to step in and play, you know, a variety of roles. And I think it keeps the options open for the Raiders in terms of nobody still knows exactly what Alex Leatherwood is going to do. Right, uh, right. Does he kick back out the tackle? Does he, does he stay at guard? Like, where does he go? And I think the fact that they've got guys that are versatile, like a guy like Parm who could play, he projects kind of as a center, but could play a guard um, or even tackle at some point allow and him along with some of the other picks that they made, allow them to stay flexible and kind of, you know, find out where they think Alex Leatherwood is best in their system. I mean, obviously last year, Leatherwood was more prepared to play guard than he was tackle. And he, you know, played much better at guard than he did at tackle, although still not great. Um, maybe in this system, they find he plays tackle better and he, he fits in better as a tackle. And then they can bolster the interior of the line, or maybe he stays at guard and, you know, they can kick somebody out and play tackle. And I, I'm not sure what the plan is going to be, but I think this gives them some time to kind of figure it out. 
Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Uh, the other offensive linemen, Thayer Munford uh, in the seventh round, offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Um, interested uh, in the running back room. We know that they did not pick up the option, uh, fifth-year option on Josh Jacobs. So they get Zamir White out of Georgia, the leading running back uh, for Georgia in the last two years. And they went Britton Brown, uh, seventh round of running back out of UCLA. Um, they traded up to get Zamir White um, out of Georgia. And this running back room now has a lot of people in it. It'll probably have four when all is said and done. But, you know, is this is this a message to Josh Jacobs? Like, what is the message to Josh Jacobs when you trade up to get Zamir White, who's sort of the same runner, not really known for his patch, pass catching abilities, kind of a like a, a, you know, break the tackle guy yards after the first hit, all of that. Is there an inherent message here or is this just them being like, you know, they were with the Patriots where, you know, they're not sending a message. They're just going to do running back by committee. Well, I mean, kind of both. I mean, if Josh Jacobs didn't get the message by the fact that his fifth year option wasn't picked up or by the fact that they hired, you know, an entire staff in the Patriots, which is a place where they have been interchanged with the running backs forever. Uh, I don't know when the message is going to get through. It's clearly through now. And you talk about that running backs room. How big is that room? It's oh, a building an extra wing under the facility for all these guys. <laughs> it's crazy. But that that's the Patriot way. I mean, you know, if real football is not fantasy football. I understand that. But as a, you know, obsessed fantasy football player, I've known for years, and I think most people that follow the NFL have known for years, that the Patriots have been very frustrating in the way they use their running backs. They very rarely have the one guy. I mean, they might say it going into the year that this is the guy, and they might have one guy at the end of the year that stands out statistically. But on a week-to-week basis, you're just as likely to be the lead running back as you are to be you know, inactive. Uh, it's a really, it's a really strange system in that way. And, and it's kind of matchup based and they look during the week and say, all right, well, this guy is probably going to w- run well against this defense. So we'll use him and very interchangeable in the running back. So uh, that was something to always monitor uh, as soon as they, they came in. And, and I think they've made no secret of that. They signed a couple of veteran running backs and now they go for and go get Brandon Bolden from the Patriots. Who's been a part of this rotation for a long time. Uh, now you draft two running backs, which I think people were a little bit surprised by, but if you follow the Patriots, you shouldn't be. Um, I believe that there needs to be a better way to compensate running backs. I think that, you know, a lot of people have talked about the salary cap and quarterbacks and saying, well, quarterbacks maybe shouldn't count against the salary cap anymore because uh, the contracts are so out of control. Um, you know, I, I think that's part of the art of the salary cap. Either you get a cheap quarterback and have players elsewhere, or you spend a lot on your quarterback and um, have other players elsewhere. I think that's part of the art of it. But I think running backs is an even more interesting case because for so long, and especially with the rookie scale, the four year uh, rookie scale that you have for like a first round running back and a lot of drafted running backs, uh, and we'll take Josh Jacobs in particular. You know, you get that rookie deal, which is, you know, it, it, nobody's complaining about it. It's, it's decent money but it's not like set for life, life changing type of money necessarily. And then you get to the end of your four years and teams are like, man, your body's been through hell these last four years. We're not going to sign you. Like, what is that? 
it doesn't make any sense. So few running backs get that deal. And so many teams now are coming around and listen, I'm of this opinion too, that you don't pay running backs big money because they're, they are somewhat interchangeable and uh, they do take such a beating that their lifespan is not that long in terms of being a, a high level NFL athlete. So I think they need to figure out a way to pay running backs right away in the league because it really, really is unfair to them. And I agree with the principle that teams don't pay running backs. Like I wouldn't pay running backs if I was a GM, but I don't think that's fair to running backs. And I think they need to figure this out uh, because it really is an unfair, uh, inequitable system when you have a certain position where you don't value anymore and you just run these guys through the ringer and then tell them they're used up and you're not going to pay them after that. That's pretty insane to me. And I, I don't think that's fair. And I think it should be addressed, but I also would not be paying running backs if I was a team. Quickly, give me your uh, your overall sense of their draft. How do you think they did? Well, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, they drafted Devontae Adams in the first and second round. So right, right. Um, that's good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think too many people are complaining about that. Um, it, it's tough to grade it. First of all, it's tough to grade any draft. I mean, we don't know what players are going to be like for a long time. Uh, I just, I, I was looking at a, a regrading, a redrafting of 2019 the other day. And uh, the question was posed by some really good football people whether the Raiders first round of 2019 is the worst round of any team in any draft in history. Um, is it possible? Maybe, but then they also said, but look what they did later in the draft. They got Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby. They did right. a great job. Fourth and fifth round. In the draft. Uh, right. They just had a really, really, really bad first round. And, and you don't know at the time who's going to work out, who's not. Um, it's just the best guess of value and that sort of thing. And um, in this case, I will say, I think the Raiders got really, really good value for where they were drafting. Um, you know, obviously they were trying to stockpile certain positions, offensive line, a little bit defensive tackle, and then running back um, offensive line made a ton of sense. You need to find young talent. You need to find an injection of uh, youth and an ability at that position uh, all over the line. So I think that was smart to invest some picks in, in the offensive line. And I think they did a good job finding some value of guys that fell a little bit uh, further than it would were expected. So great job there. Um, two running backs might've been a bit much, but you never know uh, how that's going to work out. And then obviously uh, in, in the middle of the defensive line as well, uh, that's what they needed. I, I would have liked to see them get a corner, but they might have, might, not have, might not have thought there was value there. Uh, linebacker as well, uh, I would have looked at. But um, I think for the picks that they had and what they wanted to address, I think the Raiders did very well. All right, I got something for you here because the son now uh, is totally into vinyl and cassette tapes. He's, okay. he's gone completely back in time. Uh, brought home a huge box of cassette tapes. And I only okay. wanted one. I wanted to get your thoughts. And I know you'd have some thoughts on this. My first con, well, no, my, not my first concert. One of my first concerts, uh, like a prayer from Madonna. That's the one I chose your comments. <sighs> all of all the ones, he t of all the ones he brought home, I'm, I'm holding right now. And he charged me $10 for the thing. First of all, I mean, wait, he, do you even have a cassette player? Uh, he, he, he has one, but he's, he's leaving for Texas for his uh, PhD program and he's going to take it with him. So I'm going to be stuck with this Madonna cassette tape. Well, I mean, first of all, why did you buy it? Just take it from him. Like, what, what are you doing? Nah, I can't do that to the poor kid. He's, he's a, he's a struggling, he's a struggling uh, college kid. I've got, I've, it was 10, he charged me for whatever reason, he charged me $10 and 18 cents. I had to for, Venmo him that exact pay, amount of money. You had to pay tax. I think, I think that kid, I think that kid around the tax. Yeah. For one cassette? Yes. Yes. One cassette. Madonna, like a prayer. I feel like I can look it up on eBay right now and find it for you for much cheaper. Cherish. Oh. I'm looking. Keep it. 
together, Spanish eyes, active contrition, like a prayer, love song, uh, promise to try. Those are all the songs on this baby. Does he do, does he do price match at all? Cause I just found one for $4. Uh, the same cassette. Yeah. What does price match mean? What does that mean? Well, like, you know, you, you pay that and then you can go to him and say, look, I just found this for four. You got to reimburse me. Oh no. I already Venmoed him the money. There's no chance. No chance. You gotta, he's got to send you back six eighteen. <laughs> that, that, that's not happening. I, I bring this up because I know which cassette tape I would want. Any cassette tapes in your past, or you know, the ones you like that you would t- that you would pay him ten dollars and eighteen cents for. Any any kind of band or any kind of uh, artist that you would pay to, to have a cassette tape of. If in fact you had a cassette player, which I'm guessing you don't. No, that's the issue. I mean, is there old like albums that I would love to have maybe and listen to them possibly, but like, where would I play the, first of all, I just play everything off my phone. You just plug your phone. Even if you don't like, you can plug your phone right into your, you know, through the aux cord, through your, through your car, listen to whatever you want, or just find it on your phone or on your car system. Like there's so many ways to get music now. That's anywhere. Uh, I don't, I don't think I would buy one. I just don't think it would happen, but I would like to see some of the ones that you passed up on in order to, to land on Madonna that you wanted the Madonna tape. You know, there was a lot of, uh, Beatles, um, uh, you know, uh, who, who else was on there? Um, Rod Stewart. Um, oh, that's, awful. <laughs> that's awful. Uh, Rolling Stones. Uh, I'm out. I mean, I would have spring the Beatles one. First of all, again, I, I listen to the Beatles off my phone if I want to. Uh, but I would I would also say like that's I would rank Beatles over Madonna if I was buying a, a tape from somebody. And I wouldn't even know where to find a tape player. I don't know where I, mean, he, I, he, I think he got it. I think he got it at a guitar store that sells all these vinyls. Okay. I mean, I guess on eBay you can find a tape player somewhere, but like where would you put it? What would you you can't have it in your car? No, I, I'm, I'm, do you think I could, are you saying there's ways for me to listen to uh, Madonna like a prayer on my phone? Are, are you being serious? I, I've never, I don't listen to me. I mean, the only time I listen to music that's not kind of in my car is when I do the run with the, uh, with the iPod and I've, I've loaded the music on there. And I was, okay. I'm going to tell you this. I last night, I've been waiting for an album to come out. Uh, it dropped, as the kids say, last night at nine o'clock our time Pacific. At nine oh one, the entire out the entire out was on my phone. Are you serious? Yes. You downloaded it that fast? It's, yes. You got to pay. You got to pay the money though. You got to pay for. You got to pay for. It. Well, yes and no. I mean, you, there's ways that you don't for sure. Uh, you're one you of those can. guys who like get the free music and you're not supposed to. No, no, no. There's also ways to get it for free on your phone. I got to catch up here. Yeah, I'll set you up with some uh, some really good systems here, Ed, uh, that you'll be able to deliver music to. I, I'm legitimately stunned that you just <laughs> you didn't know this. I know that you don't know much pop culture wise. <laughs> no, I mean, but this is pretty stunning. I knew people listened to music off the front. I just don't do it. I do it in the car. And like I said, I've loaded the I I have loaded in iTunes. I've loaded the Run music, uh, which hasn't changed in I don't know five years. Uh, right. I, listen, load, then load Madonna into your running music. I guess I yeah. I guess I could do that. I guess I could go on iTunes and do that. Yeah. So you know how to do that, but you don't know that you could just find. This is why you're here to help me. This is why you're this here to help. Me. This is stunning. <laughs> I mean, I I, also, I I I know 
my kids have downloaded entire albums on phones. Like I understand the process of that. I just don't do that. I just, you know, I, 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 I have CDs. Um, oh, Lord. I have, I have the car. I have the iPod. I have iTunes. iTunes is, iTunes is still pretty modern, right? Sure. Yes. But I mean, I don't know how you understand that, but you don't understand that you can just get Madonna songs on there. Uh, no, you, you, you're, you're, I, I'm sure I, I'm sure, I'm sure I know that I could do that, but I didn't think of it in the time that I was loading the, the, the music on for the run. Like I didn't think of her. I didn't think of this Madonna until he brought home the cassette. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, that's one of the first concerts I went to. That was her, uh, her like a prayer tour when she was like in the wedding dress. Yeah, by the way, I first of all, I don't I can't believe that you went to that concert. <laughs> why, why would you say that? It's just a terrible. I mean, can you picture how he was dressed for the concert? Yes, in a wedding dress. <laughs> no, 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 man. I was like gonna, a ripped <laughs> with a leather jacket. <laughs> Come on, Larry. Don't don't let's not let's not be ripping the leather jacket. It's a nice look. I still got it in the uh I still got it in the uh uh, closet. I'll pull it out once in a while when it's cold. Where was this? Where was this concert? Uh, well, it had to be in Orange County. That's where I grew up, so it had to be in Orange County, California. So you didn't, you didn't head down to like the Forum or no? I was going to say Staples Center. I know the Staples Center was not. There. I don't know. I don't know if it was a huge venue. Now that I remember back, I don't know. I mean, that was one of her main tours, so it had to be a pretty big venue. Um, so grew up in Laguna Beach, so it had to be in Orange County somewhere. I just remember being there and her and and. I believe she was in a dress, white dress. Yeah, she didn't have, it wasn't like the Hollywood Bowl? Ah, uh, no. You know what I, I saw? Uh, first concert ever was the police. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with the police? It's a nice, it's a, well, it's I, a good band. How old were you during this Madonna tour? I mean, I, I'm not even, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was a younger kid, I guess. I mean, I, I was driving. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Well, but that, I asked because, like, I just hope it wasn't your idea to go to this show. Oh yeah, I I, I guarantee. You, well, I don't. I got to be honest. I don't even remember who I was with, but I I certainly embraced the idea. It wasn't that I. It wasn't I said uh, there was a girl involved that I felt I needed to go and stuff like that. I mean, I right. I was I was dancing. I was uh I was completely into it. How about this? I think I have the date for you. Okay, give me the date. April 21st, 1985, at the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa. <laughs> you might have hit the date. <laughs> yeah. You, you might have hit it. Yes. How do you find these things? Well, there's a great invention called the internet, Ed. I, I don't know. If, <laughs> I know that you're still on cassettes, but we do have the internet. Oh, my God. What was that? Was in Costa Mesa? Yeah, at the Pacific. Wow. She closed. She closed that one with a Material Girl. Oh man, I was dancing. Was closing, I was dancing. Was closing the score. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh my God, Cherish, Oh Father, Dear Jesse. Uh, I've named some of these. Promise to try, and uh, Side One. Like a prayer. Oh, man, it's beautiful. I'm glad you this found is, that for me. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I'm glad you found that for me. Not really. I, I, I was I was a dancing fool. You know, I've won dance contests. So um, well, one time. 
what well, I mean, it's one more than a lot of people. I mean, sure. a lot of people don't go through life saying they want a dance contest. So, you know, uh, I've always got that on the resume. I'm one. You went, did you win one? I said, I'm one that has to go through life saying I've never won a dance contest and I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh man. Well, we'll continue our music uh, taste next week. Did you, uh, you, were you an Ozarks fan on, on Netflix, by the way? No, I've not watched it. I, people keep telling me I have to, but I have not. Okay. I love it. I love that show. Yeah. It ended and, uh, I, uh, it's, it's, it's done now. So I've watched it. Larry, have you seen the ending? No, I'm, uh, I'm two episodes into the last four. Oh man. You, you got a lot. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Wendy. I'm not a Wendy fan. I'll tell you that right no, now. No, we're not Wendy. Adam, Adam would love Wendy because everyone else hates her. Adam would absolutely love Wendy. I want, I want Adam to watch it just to see what he says. God, Wendy is a version of Adam. Listen to that. Listen to that. I forgot to turn the phone off. Do you hear that? Yeah. I hope that got over the the uh, the um, <laughs> podcast. Uh, all right, I'm gonna get a listen to Madonna. Um, unless you guys yeah, have any, I'm gonna go listen. No. You uh, go go into your room and flash back to April twenty first, nineteen eighty five. Can't wait. That's going to do it for our latest edition of Unsportsmanlike Conduct of the Vegas Nation, sponsored by Station Casinos, ST, and Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Remember, there are new episodes of Vegas Nation Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe to Vegas Nation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcasting app, and find all our coverage at VegasNation.com. For our producer Larry Meir and my co-host Adam Hill, like a prayer. I'm Ed Granny. We'll talk to you next week. Are you saying there's ways for me to listen to uh, Madonna like a prayer on my phone? Are, are you being serious? Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.